Hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome here in live. Uh, some folks joining us, uh, Amped, Blend, uh, out in Rowan County. Good morning, and good morning to you down in Bearden. Uh, welcome online as well. Uh, great to see you. Uh, last weekend, somebody sent me a video. Even dogs are watching, Two Rivers Church. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, if you have a, a Revelation journal, we're going to be in chapter 21, but it's a new series called The Next Christmas. Yes, still in the book, uh, The Revelation of Jesus, but it is a, a new series called The Next Christmas. Um, so if, for some of you, it may be a little bit weird because Christmas is the time of year where we talk about baby Jesus. Right? This is the time of year we pull out Matthew uh, and uh, Luke and all the, the stories of the life of Jesus, and we remind ourselves of this truth, that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And all God's people said, Yeah! Yes, it's an incredible truth, right? The fact that God is with us is an incredible truth to be celebrated. And that means that Christmas, for all of those who are in Christ, is an incredible time of celebration. But, but this year, what we're going to do is we're actually going to celebrate Advent the way that they did hundreds of years ago. And maybe you grew up doing this. I didn't. I, I grew up in a, in a pretty traditional evangelical background. Uh, we celebrated Advent. I had no idea what it was about. Um, I just knew that Christmas was about baby Jesus and I got stuff. It was pretty cool. I get stuff, and, and, and then it would be like, okay, well, let's throw Jesus a birthday party, and um, I get presents. That's a great deal, Right? Everybody wants to go to a birthday party where the person you're celebrating, they get nothing, but you get a present, all right? So, so as we think about Christmas, this historically, as we celebrate Advent, it's not just, that word just means the coming, right? It's not just the first coming of Jesus in the incarnation as God became a man, uh, it, it became uh, humanity, put on flesh. John says that, that he put on flesh and moved to earth and lived with his people. It's not just that, it's also where we hold intention that we live in the days between the incarnation or the first coming, the first advent and the second advent, which is the second coming where Jesus returns as the king of kings, where we will then live with the resurrected Jesus on a resurrected earth as resurrected people forever. So this series is actually going to be, we're going to slow down in the book of Revelation. We're going to go through over the next four weeks, chapters 21 and 22, because we've come to the most important part of the book. I, I, you may want to argue this with me later. I, I will yell at you, okay? There's no doubt, okay? No doubt that these final two chapters are the most important part of this book and people spend the least amount of time on them. That's just true. In fact, even, even in classes, you can spend so much time, you go away to school to study and you spend so much time talking about the other stuff in the book of Revelation that you run out of time by the end of the semester to come to this stuff, which is the most important stuff, the stuff that we're supposed to live it with our eyes on. The stuff here that's happening in chapters 21 and 22 of the book we call the Revelation of Jesus is the stuff we're supposed to be living for today. And yet we talk about it mm, almost never. 
And so we're going to talk about it. This Christmas, we're going to talk about it. Now, last week, I told you that we were going to bridge. We tried, we tried, two rivers, we tried to uh, get through the book of Revelation and not address some really big words, but we're going to because some of you ask questions. You're like, okay, wait a minute. You went really fast through that section of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and I've heard about this thing, the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. I've heard about the great tribulation, um, the other places in scripture, and Daniel talks about the tribulation. When's the tribulation going to happen? And I've seen the Left Behind series, and I want to know, are people going to vanish? So we're going to address that. And we told you last week that we would. We told you last week that we're going to form a bridge from chapter 20 into chapter 21. But we also told you that, and for weeks we've been telling you the same thing, that people who love Jesus, who love the scriptures, disagree about these things. When it comes to chapters 6 through 20, people who love Jesus and love the word of God and hold it in very high esteem have lots of different views. And so what we're going to do is you're just going to cover them in a big picture way. And if you're really passionate about this, I'm probably going to do your view a disservice. I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. Three views on the thousand years. The first view is it could be called amillennialism. It means that when the thousand-year period that we see in the book of Revelation is currently happening. And so we've talked about how the language of a thousand years could be both, um, it could be real, but it could just be a symbol for a long period of time. And especially, it seems like it, it is symbolic for sure, but it seems like it's, it's a symbolic nature, like it's not a literal thousand years because none of the other numbers seem to be literal. It seems like Having a ruler rule for a half an hour or an hour doesn't seem like that's a thing. So in the grand scheme of, of the story of Revelation, it seems like that is a, a symbolic number. But people hold both views, right? Like it could be a symbolic number, could be a real number. But in this view, the, the thousand-year period is happening now. Most likely people who hold this view would say that the thousand years is a symbolic number and it's going on now as the gospel goes forth, Satan is being restrained, the gospel is going forward, and that in the future there will be a return of Christ where all of those who are in Christ are raised from the dead and all of those who are not in Christ will also be raised from the dead and then they will be judged and cast into eternal punishment. The second view. Sounds a lot like that view. It's called postmillennialism, and there's a future thousand reigns. So the distinguishing factor between these two views is this view says that the thousand-year reign is not happening yet. At some point in the future, there'll be a thousand-year reign, and it can be both people who hold this view. Some view that it is a literal thousand-year reign. Some people see it as a figurative thousand-year reign. Um, they can hold both views, but it'll happen at some point in the future. And at the end of that thousand year reign, there will be uh, the resurrection of those who have life in Christ and also the resurrection of the dead to judgment, just like the first view. Okay. They sound very similar, but the distinguishing is one says the thousand years is going on now. One says the thousand years is going to happen in the future. Both see the return of Christ at the end of that time. And now the third view. And I want to say in this third view, there's, there's lots of subviews under this category. This is, this is the, the largest category of views, um, and there's all kinds of little nuances in what people understand. And so once again, this view is called premillennialism, uh, it, and its view is that Jesus will return uh, resurrecting believers 
and establishing a thousand-year earthly reign. That could be both a figurative or literal name, uh, number, okay? You can be a premillennialist and still believe that it's just a symbol. But then, that's just the general statement. From there, there's all these little subcategories, and that's where the view from the Left Behind series starts to emerge, where all of a sudden you have these people who are there, and then they're not there, and they just vanish. Bam, they're gone. Now, you may love that series. That series is, is powerful, okay? Um, that, that series, uh, in fact, my wife, we were talking about it the other day. I'm talking about the Left Behind series. I'm like, what a challenge that is to talk about this stuff. Left Behind series, it's really formed a lot of people's view of end times. And it's just not that great, right? <laughs> I mean, the movie's fine, but, but that view isn't really in the Bible. Not, not the secret vanishing part. That's actually a view that's extra biblical or it's outside of scripture. We have to have an explanation to get from here to there. So this secret vanishing doesn't seem to be in the Bible. And so, but, but, that, but that series could still be profound because for my wife, it was one of those catalysts that made her consider eternity. It made her think about it. It, it, it moved her forward to go, wait, I actually have to decide to follow Jesus. But in that view, okay, even if you hold that view, there's something, there's a word, and you've likely heard the word. It's, the word is the rapture. And that means like it's this secret snatching of believers where now they, they were here one second and they're gone the next. And it's taken out of Thessalonians. As Paul wrote to the church about people, that, that those who were um, dead in Christ, that they returned with Jesus, they were raised. And the people who were on earth, they rose up and they, they met in the air, um, that they, they came together. But even in that passage, the return of Christ everywhere in scripture is a public event. It is not a silent event. It isn't like a here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing. No, it's like Jesus is king and he's coming back everywhere we read in the scriptures. And so all of these views, I want to say this, you may hold that view and you want to talk to me about it. That's fine. We can do that. But all of these views, we need to hold on loosely. Because people who love Jesus have varying views. In fact, uh, to be a member in an evangelical free church before 2019, you had to say that you believed in a pre-millennial return of Christ. And the church realized um, that, that that was something where people who love Jesus have varying views, and they changed the statement to say, we're looking forward to the glorious return of Christ because there was a recognition that there could be somebody who might hold an amillennial view that, that, that is just as valid as somebody holds a premillennial view who, who can make an argument from the scriptures. Now, if you're passionate about this, you're already going, yeah, but not a compelling argument. It's more compelling than you think. It's more compelling than you think because this series has stretched me. I had to go back and reevaluate categories and reevaluate my belief system and go, oh, now I understand why people might go, okay, that, that view is, is closer to the truth than we want to admit. And so I would encourage you if you're like, oh, that, do read, do a little research. In all of that, for those of you who are like, just move on and be done with this already, these are the categories in general, but the differences are around um, what are the thousand years? When will Jesus return? What's the sequence of Jesus' return? 
What's the timing of the great tribulation? Will believers be here for it or not be here for it? And what's the future of the Jewish people? Those, those are the areas of major disagreement. And, and people can be really passionate about their views. But, but what do they all have in common? What do they all have in common? And so uh, in sermon meeting this week, here's, here's, how we, here's how we came up with it. We made a little illustration that there's three paths to the final destination. There's view one, there's view two, there's view three. It takes lots of turns and goes lots of different ways, but they all end up in the same place. They all end up at resurrection. And so if you are a believer in the rapture, I want to encourage you just change your word because there's no secret snatching. There is a future resurrection and we're confusing people with language. We may disagree about the timing of it, but the thing that we're looking forward to is the same thing the return of Jesus, and the resurrection of those who have new life in him. Here's the way a theologian uh, Wayne Grudem writes it. No matter what their difference on the details, all Christians who take the Bible as their final authority agree that the final and ultimate result of Christ's return will be the judgment of unbelievers and the final reward of believers. And believers will live with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will reign and will be worshiped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin or sorrow or suffering. This is the bridge to get us to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, where we're going to see that, that the next Christmas, when we use that phrase throughout the series, the next Christmas, you can, you can substitute the second coming of Christ or Christ's return. The next Christmas brings a resurrected life with Jesus. That's what's going to come. When Jesus returns... Our future is to be resurrected bodily at the same time with all of those people who are uh, the heroes of the faith throughout scripture. At the same time, all of those who are in Christ get new life together. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So you'll remember the context here is that, that um, judgment has occurred, that all of those who are not in Christ have been judged for their unbelief, and they've been, they've been cast forever from God's presence. That's happened. And now what, what happens in this vision that John sees is there's, there's a resurrected, we could say, that the, the, the earth is renewed. There's a renewed heaven and a, and a renewed earth. And the sea was no more. Now, I just want to put a little comment here. Notice it doesn't say, and there was no water on the earth. Okay? So people just like start making assumptions. And so remember that as we read, remember what the sea is. And you have to remember way back to Genesis that to remember that what does the sea represent in the ancient mind? It represents chaos, disorder. And what did God do? He took the chaos and made it ordered. And then already we've seen that as God returns, that there was a judgment that happens, that the sea became like glass and was refined by fire. It's imagery to say that there's a resurrected earth and there's no more chaos. It's gone. That's not a thing anymore. Sounds like a place I want to be. So, 
in this series, in the last series, we talked about that symbols are meant to be symbolic. This is a rule to follow, but, okay, here's the caveat. We talked about how just because something is a symbol, it could also be real because symbols point to reality. Symbols point to a reality. And you'll remember as we've gone through this series, there's been symbols. Some of them are defined for us. There was a symbol of a lampstand. And there were seven of them. Remember what the seven lampstands were? It says, oh, that's the church. Like, it, it was a lampstand that was a symbol that represented a reality of the people of God, the church. There was a, a symbol, okay? There was a prostitute that was also called Babylon the Great. That, that, what does that represent? It represented a, a, a system of humanity, of being in rebellion against God, that the natural order of people is that we would be in rebellion against God. There's a symbol that pointed towards a reality. Now, when it comes to a new heaven and a new earth, this is not the first time in scripture that this idea has been introduced. In fact, at the end of the revelation of Jesus, it's picking up a theme that's been throughout scripture that that God spoke to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah when when he said, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. This is actually something that's been in, a, in, in the works since the book of Genesis. I am so grateful that God took us through the book of Genesis at the beginning of this year when we had no idea that we were going to do the book of Revelation. So cool. Like without it, this would have been so much explanation. And so if you joined us like later on in the year, I, go back. You need to go back and watch at least the beginning part of the book of Genesis. Because the book of Revelation without the opening to, to God's story doesn't make any sense. But when we understand the pattern that, that is represented, especially in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, this makes total sense. The first time that we see this happen is what? God created at the very beginning. God created and humanity rebelled against God and God brought what? Judgment. As God brought judgment upon people, he then decreated the earth through a flood and then did what? Recreated the earth and recreated a remnant of humanity with it, um, Noah and his family, and, and God started again. This is the first time in scripture we see this pattern of creation, decreation, and recreation or renewal. This pattern actually happens throughout all of God's story, throughout all the Testament. It's over and over and over again because it's pointing us towards our future hope of being people who are living on a resurrected earth. Now, the concept of a new heaven and new earth is also something that's written about by both um, Paul and Peter. Peter writes this in the, a letter we call Second Peter. And uh, straight up, it's terrifying. Uh, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening 
The coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Absolutely terrifying. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I want to talk to the editors of the ESV that they put the exclamation point on the wrong sentence. It's at the butt. Listen, pray for this to come because it's the thing that we're waiting for. We encourage one another with what? We're waiting for resurrection, both bodily and of the earth, that we would be people living with God forever as resurrected people with a resurrected Jesus on a resurrected earth. That's our future. And so Two Rivers, we talk a lot about, in fact, last week, we talked about keeping an eye on forever, keeping an eye on forever. I, I want to be really clear. It came to me like, okay, people might be talking about that, that when we keep an eye on forever, that you're talking about keeping an eye on the day we die and we go to be with Jesus. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the future bodily resurrection of all of those who are in Christ and the resurrection of a new earth as we live as people with purpose, significance, and meaning, doing stuff, enjoying one another, enjoying God, doing things that we were created to do forever. Now, what happens between when I die in this body and that day sometime in the future? I don't know. That's not what I'm living for. I'm not being overly dramatic. I just don't think I've been really clear. The day I'm living for is the day that's described here at the end of Revelation. Not someday when, when I, 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 I go to be with Jesus in his presence in this time in between. And so it seems weird that we would be talking about heaven for a Christmas series. I know maybe in your mind, but it seems like to me it's the perfect time. If what we're talking about is spending forever as Christ returns in the second of Advent, it seems like this is something that we really need to understand. And so we want to start with the definition. What is heaven? Okay, if we want to just say this, heaven is first and foremost a place. It is a place, but what is that place? It's where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. In other words, the place where people most fully experience the presence of God. Now, with that, is God everywhere in uh, the universe in which he created? Yes, but there's a particular place where God's presence is most fully known, and we're going to use the phrase, the current heaven. What do we know about the current heaven? Not a lot. We don't know a lot about the current heaven, what we do know is that when people who are in Christ, when they, when they die, that they go into the presence of God. We know that Jesus is there as a fully resurrected human, physically there. So it's a place where Jesus is physically present and all of those who have placed their trust, both Old and New Testament, in God by believing God, they didn't even know that they were placing their trust in Jesus, but they were because they were believing what God said and they were placing their trust, they were placing their faith in God. All of those people await the same future date. And that is the return of Christ and resurrection. 
So what we're talking about in the current heaven isn't the forever heaven. And what we see here in John's vision is this continues to unfold. In verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is not some new idea. What we're talking about is not some new thing. It's not some new uh, revelation, right? It's not a new take on revelation. This is actually the historic view of what it is that followers of Christ are living for. Because God has always intended to dwell with humanity, From the very beginning of God's story, it's a story about God creating humanity in order that they would live in relationship with him, that that God would dwell with humanity, with with people. And so this this actually makes total sense. If you think about um, the the average person's view of heaven, which is um, the earth is bad, but there must be this celestial place that's really decent, and I'm going to get sucked off of earth and go to this celestial place in some ether somewhere that I don't really know what that's going to be like, and it sounds really terrible if I get really honest. But I guess that's what I get because I trusted Jesus. No! No! No, that's not. That is not in the scriptures. What is in the scriptures is a picture of living uh, as a resurrected person on a resurrected earth. So um, it was like some, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago that I I read this book for the first time. It's a book called Heaven by Randy Elkhorn. There's lots of heaven books out there. Uh, Randy Elkhorn, he wasn't the first, but it's the one that I would recommend. It's a theology of heaven. And... um, Man, I went to school. We, we talked about all kinds of views of end times. I went before a council to be ordained for ministry. And they asked me all kinds of questions about my view of end times, uh, some of which I would give different answers today than I did back then. But um, I, like everybody wanted to know, what's your view of that? And it was of the intermediate period of the, of the book of Revelation. But nobody wanted to know, what's your view of heaven? What's the thing that we're living for? Nobody ever asked me that question. Never talked about it. And yet, it's, it's the thing that seems to be the most important thing that the New Testament writers write continually, the thing that we're supposed to meditate upon, the thing that we're supposed to think about, the thing that we're supposed to encourage one another with. It isn't just, hey, keep going, someday you'll die. That's what we do. Like, like we say it that way, or even worse, right? Like we all know, like you get older, you want to deny the, the reality of getting older. Like you get older and stuff just doesn't work the way it used to. And pain starts to become a present reality and you have to replace parts and all that kind of stuff, right? It's just, it's just part of getting older. And then so, you know, you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing today? And they're like, ah, oh, you know, my back hurts, but you know, but it beats the alternative. Ah, it beats the alternative. And I always want to ask people, what do you mean? What alternative are you talking about? Are you you talking about being in God's presence? Because if you're a believer, there's no way 
that anything that's going on in your world today is better than the alternative. There's nothing that you're going to experience, right? And I didn't talk to somebody. Hey, you know what? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but I just don't want to go right now, right? I mean, country singers sing about that. Yeah, everybody wants to go to heaven. Just don't take me today. In fact, people say, yeah, you know what? I'm looking for heaven, but I just want to see and fill in the blank. And they have all kinds of stuff. I want to go to heaven, but I just want to see my, my daughter get married. I, I want to go to heaven. I, I just want to see my grandson get married. I, I just want to, you know, have, have a grandchild. I just want to have a great grandchild. You know what? I want to go to heaven, but. And that's because we have a faulty view of what it is to live in the presence of God. We think it's a far-side cartoon. We think it's something like this. Here's one example. It's a dude, right? Dude with wings saying, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Like somehow you get wings and a cloud and you're now in the eternal doctor's office waiting room. Or maybe this one. That when you go to heaven, you get the harp. But if you go to hell, you get the accordion. And the answer is no, no. Guess what, folks? When you die, you don't become an angel. Guess what you become? You, you are you forever. And some of you are like so depressed right now. <laughs> what, I'm me forever? Yes, you are a person, you're humanity. You, you were created to be human and you will be human forever. You don't become God. Guess what? When you die, you don't learn everything. It's not like all of a sudden you become all-knowing like God, which if you're wired like me, you're like, whoo, because that sounded terrible when people would tell you, well, someday we'll know all things and you'll know. And I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. Because for me, learning stuff motivates me. It encourages me. It challenges me. So you mean I'm going to be bored forever and now I got a harp and a cloud and I got wings and I don't know what to do with that? And now I'm going to sing the same song for thousands of years. That sounds like death. That does not sound like life. And so if you were going to ask me, hey, Dave, you could teach on one thing out of the Bible. This is the thing I would teach on. This is the thing that I would teach on because, because it's so radically changed my life. I'm not talking about that as, as hyperbole. When I adjusted my view and said, oh, heaven is not a cloud in the herp, a harp and singing forever in some existence that I can't imagine. I can imagine it to be a person with purpose, meaning, and significance to live with God on a resurrected earth. I can't imagine that. What's going to happen between now and then? I don't know. I get to be with Jesus, that's going to be amazing, but I'm supposed to imagine the thing that I'm supposed to look forward to is the day when the earth is made new and there's a merging between heaven and earth and God comes to dwell with humanity forever. And those are the things that we're supposed to encourage each other with. Not someday you'll die. Ah, just tough it out until then. No, keep your eye on forever. And so in this series, we're going to see that the Bible depicts that, that heaven is different than maybe what we thought, and we can actually imagine it. We can actually imagine it. 
As we pick up here in verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words, words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The book of Revelation makes it clear over and over and over and over and over again that the future resurrected life is for those who've placed their faith in Jesus. In the book of Revelation, we see those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, those who've given their lives to following Christ, that they will be resurrected to life forever with him. But those who have not, they're going to get exactly what they asked for, which is to be separated from God because they said, God, I don't believe you. It's harsh. And the book of Revelation wants to make sure that we know that we know that we know it. That, that there is a future reality that is only for those who are in Christ. The future resurrected life is for those who have new life in Christ, right? Those who have life with Jesus and, and, and those who are, who are going, I've given my life to following Christ, who've been made new by Christ, who, who were once dead spiritually, but have already been resurrected spiritually, as we're going to talk about through January into February, being people who have been made new by the power of God himself through the new life that comes as the resurrected ones happen in our spiritual lives. We're looking forward to someday a bodily resurrection as we join all of those who've been spiritually resurrected already in joining God in his presence forever, not in some mystical place, but on a new earth. And that's something we're supposed to think about and meditate upon and, and consider What's it mean that we could be people who live lives of meaning, significance, and, and forever? And, and for me, it means like, okay, so we get to work in heaven? Some of you are like, work? Wait a minute. That sounds more like hell. <laughs> Don't trick me. You say work? Yeah, because you were made to do stuff. You were made to do stuff. What stuff? The stuff God made you to do. It was all unique. We're all individual. We're all different. But it's when we do nothing that, that we're experiencing boredom. We experience insignificance. We're like, I don't even know what to do. Guess what? We were made to do stuff. And it's the reason why that, that as we think about spending a forever doing nothing, it sounds terrible. But if you tell me, oh, wow, you're going to get to finally experience the fullness of who God made you to be, you're going to finally get to experience the fullness of who God is and the relationships that you have with other people who are in Christ. Like we were made not just to live in relationship with God, but also each other. Now, some of you out there are like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a little too close to home. You know what? I'm, maybe I'll take a cloud and a harp. Maybe that's better. It's what we were made for. We were made to live with other people in God's presence forever. And so this week, as you look at the Live It Out 
Um, we've taken you some different places in scripture that talk about this future day as Christ returns. And so this is a week for you to engage. It's not just rereading Revelation. It's going back through and looking at some other places in scripture and allowing the word of God to challenge your view of resurrection, to challenge your view of the return of Christ, to allow the spirit of God to speak into your world. But here's one thing that's just true. And we've said it over and over again in this series. This is only for those who placed their faith in Jesus in this life. And so maybe that's where you need to begin. You need to begin with Jesus. I give my life to you. Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. Jesus, I've been listening in and I've never, I've never given my life to following you. And maybe that's where you need to begin. I want to encourage you. Don't wait. The time is short. The, the scriptures are clear. The, the time is short, not just in in Christ's return, but, but this life is a vapor and we have but this life to choose to follow Jesus. And so don't wait. And then as you read this week to ask Jesus, where does my view of your return need adjusting? Allow him to shape it. Allow him to encourage you. Allow him to spark your imagination that you begin to go, okay, wait, what does it look like for me to live life with meaning, purpose, and significance with Jesus and other people who love Jesus forever? But now what we're going to do in all of our venues is we're going to worship. So let me pray. Father, we're grateful that you made us to be a people who are with you, that, that you have demonstrated that through the first coming of Christ that you have demonstrated that you are God with us and that you will demonstrate that again as Christ returns, that you are God with us. And we're so grateful. We ask now that, that your spirit would well up within us and inspire our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.